Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Ennevar. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security, and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Ennevar. I am Clive Ennevar, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Lee Featherby about effective communication, how to get your message across in the digital era. Lee is the founder and CEO of Powerful Points. Powerful Points was established in 2003 to provide better presentations for business. Since then, they have become known as the Asia-Pacific market-leading visual communication specialist delivering design and training for businesses large and small, including brands like McDonald's, Hermes, Alibaba, and Hyundai. Hello, Lee Featherby, and welcome. Thanks, Clive. Delighted to be here. Pleasure to have you here, because I understand that you're in Sydney and we're coming out of lockdown. Uh, it's uh, it's great to... It's, it's, uh, Sydney's done a remarkable job compared to the rest of Australia where it hasn't uh, really locked down at all apart from the initial stages and it's kept its borders open at all times and um, whilst uh, and in that sense government's done a remarkable job and to some degree apart from there has been social distancing and awareness but you, you do go out on weekends and you see so many people out and about you just wonder whether there is actually a virus happening and, and wreaking carnage in the rest of the world. Yes, well, hopefully we can continue to keep it at bay because you're in Sydney, I'm in Victoria, and we're at the present time about a month without any cases. We're all excited. We're filling cock-a-hoop and, well, we're not quite dancing in the streets, but I'm sure it's coming. We're fi- we are five days away from maybe getting access to Perth again, which is my hometown, so uh, fingers crossed. Yes, So, and coming from Perth, let's talk about that. Here you are in Sydney running this business. Uh, you're known throughout the Asia Pacific uh, for you know, delivering the, the right sort of presentations, helping people get their message across. Tell us about growing up in Perth. Perth's a very small town. People used to say, well, firstly, you know, Perth, growing up in Perth was a challenge insofar as uh, I've got now about 10 skin cancers cut off my body because uh, Perth is such a hot climate, and I grew up on the beach. And Sunday mornings was, you know, getting sunburnt down at Triggs Beach, uh, and going to school on Monday, and you know, slapping everyone's back to see who was in the most amount of pain from the most amount of sunburn. So uh, I did. I, I I have no Perth left in me, Clive. Um, I have no family there anymore. I have no reason to go back. I have a few clients. We do some work for Edith Cowan University, and couple of other companies there, uh, but I have no Perth left in me. And I just love Sydney. I, I love big cities. I, we have an office in China and uh, go to Shanghai fairly regularly. And I just love it. I love the energy uh, that you get when there's lots of people and activity around. Now, when I went across to Perth, I spent a little bit of time on the, the beach. And I was amazed at the way the water flows differently in the tides. What have you noticed about the tides in Sydney? There, it's not something I've considered. I'd love Sydney beaches. I think Perth, big long one, big long stretch of beach, but Sydney's got you know, bays and uh, and and 
and better surf if you're into body surfing uh, on those beaches. Because Perth's got Rotnest uh, that's 11 kilometres out and sort of stops the swells coming in, so you don't get that much surf. Mm. Uh, so I, I actually prefer Sydney's beaches. I just don't like the parking there. And being in Sydney, biggest city for the moment in uh, Australia, apparently Melbourne's um, penned to take over that mantle shortly, but uh, that's another story. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) What's it like living in such a big place? Um, I think, you know, you go to Shanghai and there's 23 million people, 25 million people in Shanghai in one city. So... I think most of us tend to live in our own sort of areas. One of the things, there's almost five cities in Sydney. There is, you know, the Sutherland, what we call the Shire. Um, There's the eastern suburbs. There's the lower North Shore. There's the North Shore. And then then, then there's either the inner west. uh, And then there's all the rest. It amazes me in Sydney, the number of people who live south of the bridge never come across the bridge. They don't like it. You know, it's 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 quite amazing, you know. But some people haven't been across the bridge in ten years. So I think it doesn't matter the size of the city. We tend to live in a in a in our own certain space. Very few of us actually, uh, unless you're a professional driver or something like that, actually traverse across an entire city in that sense. But I love it. I you know, I live close to work. Uh, I live close to a place called Chatswood, which is major uh, lower North Shore ch- shopping area and walking distance with movie theaters and that sort of stuff. So. Um, yeah, that's that's my world in a sense. I live four and a half kilometres from where I work, so yeah, I'm probably pretty isolated myself in that sense. I think you're right. We do tend to create a little bubble around ourselves, and that's where we exist. But uh, yeah, don't be too surprised, too alarmed by the people on the south side not crossing the bridge to the north and vice versa. I've lived in every major city in Australia. I've visited nearly every town in Australia and it doesn't matter how big the city or the town if it's got a railway line going through it or a a river or anything of that nature it's always the same it's some sort of psychological thing even in Perth with the river cutting through it uh, but Perth being so small a lot of people were you had to cross the river otherwise there wasn't anything to do on the other side (laughs) yes I, I I recognised exactly the same thing in in Perth that there were people who just did not cross that river. <laughs> Again, in Perth, you know, from memory, it, it changed. I left there twenty odd years ago, but there were five sort of. There was Fremantle, there was Northbridge, there was uh, you know somewhere up in the, the northern beaches, and there was Subiaco, and and they were the sort of five spots. The thing about Sydney, it's got a lot more than five. I mean. Um, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't, I couldn't really go anywhere in Perth after living there much of my life. I lived in Melbourne a couple of times without running into someone you knew, and that was in itself was a bit of a bit of a reason to leave town. <laughs> and of course, finding your way to Sydney, and then 2003, you decided on, okay, I'm going to set up my own business. What were the major things, major reasons you set out to establish your own business? And was the goal what you have or has it changed? Interesting story. Um, do you ever see Steve Jobs? Uh, I think it was Stanford University saying uh, in his uh, valedictory speech or something, whatever it was, uh, his Connect the Dots speech where he talks about you look back in your life and you can see that the events that occurred 
that if they hadn't happened, you wouldn't have ended up in that particular place. Like he dropped out of university, uh, went into the um, art and design courses and learned about fonts. And that's why, you know, the the first apples ended up with various fonts. Otherwise, it would have just perhaps been Courier New and that sort of thing. I, uh, truth be known, I ended up doing this because I couldn't get a job when I moved over from from Perth. And a, a friend of mine, uh, my partner at the time, was a tutor in health sciences at uh, at uh, UTS University, and and she had a lecture. She was asked to do a lecture on the pathophysiology of the gastrointestinal tract, uh, and asked if I would help her do it. And I, of course, I said yes, um, and I did that. And after which, she said, "You're actually quite good at this. You should do this as a business." And literally, my response was, "Can you?" Like, it's never occurred to me that, that sort of thing. So I looked around. This is going back to 2003, uh, and there wasn't anyone in Australia that I could find that was doing it. So I made up this, in hindsight, really crass presentation and turned it into HTML or, uh, and put that up on a website. And yeah, this was 2003, but when you when it opened up, there were trumpets playing and all sorts of things. And, and these days, you cringe at that, but uh, that was what it was in the early days of the internet. And I said to her at some point, I said, I can't imagine this doing more than $10,000 a month. Uh, and now, you know, I've got 18 employees and offices in Shanghai and, uh, and, uh, and Sydney with, you know, with plans for other places. So one thing we do know, I'm a lousy business forecaster. Uh, but I, so I didn't really have any plans for it apart from surviving. I still thought I'd have, I was doing lecturing in business myself at UTS. Um, and that's not how I met this particular woman, but uh, I just thought it would be a part-time job, just uh, you know, give me a little bit of extra income. But it sort of, we we have a major client is McDonald's, uh, who Ray Kroc uh, is famous for his quotes inside McDonald's, and they often ask us to track down a quote or something like that when we're doing presentations for him, and or presentations for them that they can use a Ray Kroc, Ray Kroc quote. And one resonates with me really well, which uh, he says, in order to be successful, two things have to happen. Uh, number one, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And number two, you have to do something about it. And I think to a, to a degree, that's one of the reasons uh, that we've been successful is that PowerPoint, PowerPoint first came out in 1997 from memory, uh, was gaining greater and greater traction. People were getting you know, horrified with presentations that, that, that were being done uh, and we happened to be in the right place at the right time. Unfortunately, uh, some things happened and we really, uh, when we moved into a, I was working out of my study and I moved into an office in 2008, six months before the GFC hit. Uh, so that people, if people ever tell you that a recession is a good time to, to go into business, which someone once told me, they have no idea what they're talking about. They have never done it. But it's, uh, you know, I, I so the business, uh, the, our vision is a world where everyone gets heard uh, and really facil facilitating that. Um, and I think it's that passion. Uh, I'm very diligent about what we do and why we do it. You know, I, I've researched stuff extensively. I can talk about it, uh, you know, in a way that obviously is enrolling for people and the fact that yeah, it's, it's time. Yeah, it's time has come. People realise that uh, you can't do presentations like you did in the 1990s. And so often, yeah, you know, there's no other communication that I'm aware of in today's world that looks the same as it was in the 1990s, with the exception of people's presentations. 
They're text heavy. They're data heavy. They're all about facts. There's no story. They look awful. There isn't anywhere. You think internet, no. Email, no. We've changed the way we email, all that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, if, if presentations are too much look like the 1990s still. And essentially, if you're making a presentation to somebody, anybody, uh, where you want people to, for want of a better term, and I've got my inverted commas up for the listeners, buy into whatever it is that you're uh, presenting, isn't that just like making a sales presentation? I gave a lecture, uh, a keynote to uh, a company called, a, lawyer, a group of lawyers called FB Rights, FB be Rice. They are patent attorneys, which is a specialized, very specialized branch of law. You have to actually have a science degree and then do law before you can become a patent attorney. And I, in that, during that presentation, I, I said, uh, everyone put your hand up now. Put your, take your hand down if you if you don't like the idea of being a salesperson in in your presentations. And just about all the hands came down, which is an interesting insight into what lawyers consider appropriate. But I just said the fact is that it is a sales presentation. Whether you're presenting to your board, whether you're presenting to uh, your clients, whether you're presenting to a change management uh, with your staff, whether you're doing a town hall, if most presentations to be effective are about changing what people you want the audience to do or say, ultimately. You might not want them to, to, to buy something from you, but you might want them to do something differently. You might want them to talk differently or something like that. And that is a sales exercise. Absolutely and completely a sales exercise. So if we break that down even further, <clears throat> any presentation, therefore, is, is simply a conversation. It's just that there might be only one person speaking and a, a larger number actually listening. So does it all come back to just being a conversation, Lee? Absolutely and completely. Uh, and I would encourage anyone who's doing a presentation to actually make sure that it's not just one person speaking. One of the big bugbears I have is about actors teaching people how to present uh, because there's a couple of things that happen in, in that sort of environment that doesn't work in a presentation. Firstly, an actor has, when they're, when they're acting, they have complete control over their environment. It's well rehearsed, it's well practiced, uh, they are trained in presenting something that they're not. You know, you don't expect, you know, the best argument I heard was, you know, people don't get upset when they see the death scene at, at the end of Romeo and Juliet because they understand it's acting. Uh, but a death scene in a presentation would be quite distressing to a lot of people because there isn't that separation between, you know, the person presenting and that sort of stuff. So as to be effective in any conversation, it's absolutely important to be natural. Uh, and allow your own self-expression to come forward. And that happens best in a conversation. As human beings, we're used to having conversations. We do them every day. We're comfortable with them. And if we, if we understand that giving a presentation, I'm just having a managed conversation with a group of people, and you want people to, to engage with you in that. In other words, you want people to ask you questions, to perhaps challenge you. It's just normal conversation. And that's actually the secret to delivering good communication full stop. The buzzword at the moment in business, it used to be you know, world's best practice, but you never hear that anymore. But now it's all about your story. And when you say to people, okay, so how do you create a story? They'll stare at you blankly because they have no idea. They think there's something to that, that, uh, that 
is some sort of secret that you need to be a specialist about. And and whilst you do need some training and some insight into it, all conversations are stories. You know, we don't have a conversation about that is just dropping information on you. Did you know that 62% of people do this? And we actually tell a story about it. Why is that relevant and that sort of thing? So, you know, the secret to creating stories understands a conversation and create it as a conversation and deliver it as a conversation where you're 100% natural. Uh, and But it's a managed conversation, of course. It's not your everyday, you know, sitting have a, having a discussion over lunch about the football or something like that. But it's a managed conversation with, with you know, a... a preferred outcome by by everyone in the room i would think whether they know it or not indeed those those attending uh, uh they they've already decided on the preferred outcome and and those presenting uh well hopefully they've identified a preferred outcome <laughs> i i hopefully uh when you're when they when when you're delivering that people haven't come into the room with a preferred outcome they hopefully they they've no doubt that they've got a particular mindset that you need to be aware of and if you don't pay attention to that you know they they're going to be there's going to be all sorts of problems i mean it's really when you when you're communicating with anybody about anything you are taking them on a journey from where they are now to where you want them to be what i want them to do is say at the end of this conversation at the end of this meeting at the end at, at the end of this um if they're stuck in a particular, if you don't know where they are, it's going to be hard to get them to where you want them to be. So understanding your audience is critical to being good advertiser, being good presenter, being a good uh, anything really, if, you, if it involves communication. So um, some insight to what people are thinking at the moment is essential. Given that on the face of it, as we're talking about this, it's just having a conversation with people. Every, as I see the world of business, everything in business is just having a conversation. Uh, if I need somebody to help me with my presentations, for example, I'll turn up at your place and I'll have a conversation with you. And during that conversation, you'll tell me what what you you think is good about making a presentation. Which, if that gels with me, the conversation continues and we expand the conversation. Given it's just a conversation, what do you think are the biggest issues or challenges that businesses face in trying to get their message out there? Um, so one of the things these days is the biggest, there's so many channels of communication. Uh, you know, there's WhatsApp and WeChat and uh, Messenger and Facebook and Twitter and so there's so many channels, which has really fragmented the audience. Uh, that's, a, that's a big challenge in itself, number one. And concurrent with that is there's just so much information being thrown at people. Uh, doing some research a couple of years ago, and there was, there was uh, you know, depending on who you listen to, anywhere between 600 and 10,000 messages being delivered to people every day. I don't know about 10,000. That seems an exceptional amount, but and I don't know how they worked that out. But... Uh, it's still a lot going on. It's actually the big challenge that people don't realize, particularly in business-to-business -business sales um, or business-to-business -business communications. Most people, particularly decision-makers these days, go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. I remember, unfortunately, Clive, I was around when, when personal computers first started. And I remember the futurists said, this is going to give us a lot more leisure time. We'll probably be working three days a week in, in, by 2020. Well, first, I like to find those people and beat the crap out of them for that idea. But uh, 
Yeah, it, it didn't happen. What happened was layers of middle management got stripped away and we went from an average number of reports from, from six to 12. And that was facilitated by the IT itself. Decision makers now go and you, you speak to these senior people, uh, even speak to middle management people, they go from meeting to meeting to meeting. They don't have the time to sit and reflect anymore about uh, what you're saying to 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 think about it in, in the degree that we need it. We're such high pressure lives. So one of the things you need to do when you're communicating with people is make sure that you are making what you're saying easy to follow and 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 ideally, if you, you people are nodding their head away on the way through the conversation or the way through the presentation or the video or whatever you're communicating with, going, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. So that they get to the end of whatever it is, to, if there's a call to action or something like that, that they've almost convinced themselves because simply what you've been saying just makes sense. Or uh, And I'm, I'll talk in a minute about what the key ingredient of that is that gets missed by most businesses in our experience. So that... You know, your evidence is, has made sense. Uh, the way you've presented that has made sense. They don't have time to sit and ponder anymore. People, what you'll find is if people don't believe you, they'll say no, uh, because the general way of human beings is if in doubt, say no. If they do believe you, they're, they're more than likely to say yes, provided you can deal with things like, you know, how do I pay for it and all that other stuff. You know, that, that, that's a doable sort of thing. The reason most people don't get to that point is they miss the critical point in communication. Uh, and that is they think that it's about the facts. I'm going to use a presentation in the analogy I'm going to use here, but it actually applies to everything. People will do a presentation that has slide after slide after slide uh, with facts. We're working with a rather large company at the moment doing a uh, response for a tender to a supermarket. And we only got this job on Thursday. We had to deliver it today. So we've been working with them quite intensely. But the stuff that came through initially was all, you know, fact, 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 fact about the industry, about, you know, stuff. And it's like, that's not the important stuff. The important stuff that you need to make sure that you dwell on, and it's the speaker's role in the case of the presentation, is why is this important? What's the context for this, you know, why does this matter to you and why, you know, why do we need to talk about it? That's what gets missed in so much communication is actually people start talking about the what, the where, the how, the who, the when, and anything but the why. Years ago, we were doing some work for Danone in China. Uh, one of the, the people there wanted to put a submission to management. So Danone make uh, yogurt, yo play, that sort of stuff. Uh, and this particular person worked in um, baby formulas. And she wanted to put together to merge. She was head of their one division's uh, marketing department. Uh, where and China is such a different market. They do they all their distribution was done uh, was all online. There was no product in stores and that sort of stuff. But she wanted to put a submission. They should merge these marketing departments. Uh, and and we'd worked with her on a uh, some some product based stuff and she rang me and she said can you help me put this this presentation together on and and we started on it and she went straight away into the what what should be done rather than setting the context for why it should be done and you can't overdo the why yeah, it's it's you. You need to talk about why we're we having the presentation. Why is what we're talking about important? Why am I saying this? Why am I doing that? Why why is this bit of information relevant to that? 
it should be, you know, as we say, people need to buy the why before they'll buy your communication or your, or your proposal or anything like that. If you don't do the why, uh, and that's what gets missed so often, that's why most communication is not successful. People haven't thought about the why, and they haven't thought about the why from the context of the listener's point of view. They've thought about the why from their point of view. Now, we, we, we do what we call audience-focused presentations or audience-focused communications. Uh, most people, when they're asked to do create something that's a communication, they think, what do I want to tell people? And when I do a presentation, what do I want to tell them? You know, I want to do a sales presentation. What do I want to... What do, what do I want to put in my sales presentation? What do I want to tell the board? What do I want to do this? It's actually the other way around. You need to stop and say, what do they need to know? Not what do I want to tell them? I, I would love to, I'm about to do a quote or a saying, I'm full of adages because they sort of so often communicate things so clearly. This one is not mine and I don't know whose it is. Or I can't attribute it, but it's one of the best ones I've ever heard. It's, it's not what you say, it's what they take away. Uh, yeah, and very good advice, that one. Yeah, great uh, one, isn't it? So, and, uh, it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, in, in keeping with what you're saying, uh, telling isn't selling is another old adage that uh, somebody told me about far too many decades ago. But uh, it holds true no matter what time, decade, century it is, telling isn't selling. It's all about what's the other person need to hear how exactly. do we align what we have with what they want exactly so, moving on from there now you did mention something there that you picked up a job on thursday today's uh wednesday when, uh you have to deliver today i hear from lots of people in small and medium business that they're under pressure, 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 pressure. Now, you've, you've received a job Thursday to help somebody out with a presentation, has to be delivered Wednesday. How do you cope with the pressure? One of the, uh, one of the best trainers to, for that is to do business in China. Um, I love the Chinese. I love going to China. I love the culture, even despite all the political argy-bargy that's happening at the moment um, and separate the politicians away from the people or the politics away from the people. Uh, and I do joke that long-term planning in China is tomorrow lunchtime uh, because so much, even last night at eight o'clock, my country manager in China rang me and said, Lee, one of our clients need to uh, quote for a, a video, three, three, seven and a half minute, four, seven and a half minute, four, seven and a half minute videos uh, that they want to do. They need a quote, got to give it to them by lunchtime tomorrow. And it's like, that's just China. So one of the things China's taught me is, and I think it's, it's endemic in the world today, is agility is absolutely essential. If you're not prepared to be agile these days, if you're not prepared to uh, you know, be reactive to markets, to, to clients and that sort of stuff, you're going to make life very difficult for your survival in business. Things change that quickly these days, that... Uh, that in itself is a major challenge is, is to maintain that mental flexibility to stay true to your values, to, to understand what your value proposition is to your clients. But at the same time, uh, you know, have that functional adaptability to be able to make these things happen. I mean, the guys, this company I'm speaking to you about is presenting to their client tomorrow. Uh, and in an hour and a half, they're going to have the first run through. 
if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have got the business. And the client would have been, you know, the, the client would have suffered as well. So uh, it's just, you know, uh, our studio manager has the unenviable job of juggling deadlines. Uh, the guy is absolutely fantastic. He's, uh, he's OCD about this sort of stuff, which is both good and bad. Uh, it means he does a really, really good job about it, but he gets really, really <laughs> stressed and angry sometimes. But uh, you just have to do that. And it's, 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 it's changes, change is part of the world today. And pressure is, if you don't want to go, if you don't like pressure, don't go into business for yourself. And you mentioned something else I think is really important there <clears throat> that you've got to be agile to do all these things. So you've got to chop and change at various times. But most importantly, you mentioned in there that you've got to straight stay true to your values. Mm-hmm. How did you figure out what your values are? Um, I've done it several times in the history of this company. Um, and it's definitely the role of leadership, right? Um, but it's the role of leadership to pull those out of your people because you can't impose values downwards I, I, effectively, in my opinion. So I remember uh, when the business was very new and I had four employees, we sat down one day and said, okay, what, are, what do we value? You know, what, what are we on for here? Uh, and we created at that stage, uh, I'm just trying to remember what, what the strap line was about that. Um, brilliant, 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 brilliant presentations, uh, beautifully designed was, was, you know, that's who we stood for what we stood for to delivery to our clients. Uh, we did it again three, two or three years ago. Uh, and again, we sat down as a group and worked out, we actually took about half a day and, and everybody in the company uh, was involved in that um, to deliver, to understand our values, like we're accountable, um, we're extraordinary, understanding the difference between excellence and extraordinary. You know, we, we're always been committed to doing excellent and outstanding work, but you're very often limited by budgets and that sort of stuff. No, no client's ever said, you know, here's a couple hundred thousand dollars, go away and make me a presentation. Uh, so you are limited in the, in the sense of, you know, there's a finite amount of time and a finite budget. So it's great to be committed to excellence, but you don't actually have that freedom. So what we, we, we realized is inside of what we, the budgets we have and the timeframes we have, we're actually committed to doing the extraordinary. Um, so it's those sorts of things. I think that the values of an organization have to come from the group. Uh, one of, if, if I was to talk about one of the most significant things I've learned about running a successful business was when I realized that it wasn't about me. Uh, that was a real, you know, absolute epiphany. When, when, when it was, I, if I was going to try and make this business great and make it about me, it wasn't going to work. When I realized that greatness came from making my team great uh, and acknowledging their successes and, and not being threatened by them being successful, the business turned around, the, the culture turned around. So. Very important for all people in business to remember that. And I like that you are engaging the entire team in identifying what your values were. Let's face it, if we have a team and not everyone's on the same page, is not going to be much of a team, is it? Uh, it's one of those golden rules in, of business. You know, I used to lecture at UTS in management and, and marketing, but um, you know, when, when people are involved in the development of their own goals and their own 
values, they're going to be far more committed to it rather than having it imposed upon them. So. Yes, that old imposition thing has never worked and I doubt it ever will, as long as humans are human, at least. Yeah, it's a weird thing about leadership. You have to lead from the front, but it has to be you know, all about support. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a... It's a That's of, right, you're carrying, you're lifting. Exactly, exactly. You can't, but you can't push. You've got to lead from the front, but you've got to support. It's a, it's one of those real challenges of life, but it's actually one of the really thrilling things as well. You know, I, I am, you know, I had was very flattered in the two things. My two senior people, um, Vivian the other day, uh, just in a passing comment, said I stopped being an employee a long time ago. And what she meant in that was that, because Vivian is as passionate about this business as me. Now, anybody that runs their own business will know how rare it is to find an employee that's as passionate about their business as the founder is, uh, will understand how big a compliment that was. Uh, and then uh, the, the person in China, who's only been with us for about 18 months, uh, we were on the phone to her the other day and she said basically the same thing. She said she was, we were speaking to one of our contractors and she said, you know, I used to work in a company that I had an assistant who did all the, all the table, all the data import and all this sort of stuff. So when I came and joined this company, Lee said, no, you've got to do all that yourself. She said, and it turns out I love this company. I love the fact I've got to do that because I'm running my own business. Um, you know, so it's, and like this, the, the it's a privilege to lead people that give you extraordinary efforts. Uh, and that's what I can truly say about my staff is they're extraordinary people that are extraordinarily committed to. I had one, we were doing a job for a company a couple of months ago. Uh, and it was another short term job. It was a China job, actually. Uh, now we have people in China who are designers. We have a lot of Chinese designers here. And we had one week to produce a one minute video. And the client had no idea what the content was going to be. So it wasn't like he'd turn this into a video. So we had to create the content and create the video in a week. And the, the Chinese management style is get it done for me and then I'll take it to my boss to get approved. And he'll take it to his boss to get approved. So it kept going up and back all the time and getting changed. So it turned into a massively different thing in the end to start with. But uh, And it ended up being two minutes and all this information that wasn't planned but i had one girl in china at 11 o'clock at night go into the office and work through till uh five o'clock in the morning i had one uh person here come in uh from 5 a.m on sunday morning picked up the, the the project from them uh and worked right through till about midnight on the sunday night uh, no notice and it just had to be done for the client didn't didn't ask me i didn't need to tell them to do it they all just did it off their own bat. Uh, so it's a humbling experience when you get the opportunity to work with people that are that passionate and that committed about what they're doing. And all of it for the benefit of the client, which in turn, of course, provides that benefit back to the business. Yeah. Speaking of this business, 17 years we've been running, we're doing okay. What are we doing when we get to 2025 or 2030? What's powerful points doing uh well hopefully i won't be working as hard as what i am now <laughs> um we have an exit we 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 have an exit strategy uh we have a we want to rule the world um we have a uh, a system where we have uh we're trying to franchise the business in a couple of levels we're trying to franchise it in terms of master franchises internationally and then 
sub-franchises in, in terms of that centralized design studio for quality control, the centralized trainers for quality control, but people doing the uh, account service and account management as part of a, a sub-franchise situation. Um, so what I would like to be doing, I think one of the things that most small businesses don't realize is that the bigger the company gets, the more you've got to let go of of the, the the technical side of the business. I don't have much to do with clients anymore, apart from some clients I still look after because you know, it's long-term relationships there or you know, there's just an association there. I think every every CEO should keep some finger on the pulse around clients and that sort of stuff. So I'd never want to not be dealing with clients totally. But as a small businessman, you've got to start moving further away from the technical and start getting more and more involved in the management side of things. I have less and less to do on a day-to-day business. I used to approve every job that went out of this company. Uh, and now I wouldn't approve any, any more than maybe three or four a month, which might be my particular projects. I want to, what I'd like to be doing in, in three to five years time is traveling the world speaking publicly uh, about a couple of things, uh, about presentations for one uh, and about business for the other and the things I've learned uh, you know about what makes a successful business you know, like number one the staff aren't the enemy which is you know uh which you get a lot of businesses they it seems to be, you think they are the enemy but uh, mm, you know, another yeah. one another rule is you know nobody needs another one of those uh and this is what i see so often in small businesses that they, that someone's going to go and set up their own business and, and like okay so why why should people buy from you is because, well, I want to sell it to them or I want to run the small business. Now, every business should should constantly be looking for what makes me unique. Why would customers want to buy from me rather than my competitors? And if you haven't got a good answer to that, you're in problems. We, we used to, when we we're putting sales decks together for clients, we'd actually go in and have a discovery session. We'd often ask them that and say, what's, you know, what's unique about you? Uh, and they would say, Great people, great quality, great service. Um, and we say, okay, that's you. We'd put that list out. Okay. Now, what do your competitors say? What's unique about them? And they say, great service, great people, great quality. And you know, and saying, like, can you start to see the problem here? Of, of you have no clearly identifiable promise or point of difference. And that's essential to run a successful business. That's what makes people use you over your competitors. Absolutely right. We must know who we are. We could talk about this for days, you and I, Lee. I've got no doubt about that. But the time, the clock is against us. So before I let you go, what is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? Someone said to me once, and the words have stuck in my head ever since, uh, from a, to a couple of things from a management perspective. And the first one goes, what gets measured gets done, and what gets paid for gets done better. A uh, really big secret that, I, that I've learned. Uh, and another one, uh, and along the same vein, is, is the best management question you can ask in anything is by when. Uh, so, you know, when you, someone's going to do something, you need to get them com- commit around the time. They're, they're, they're the, the, probably my most quoted management business sort of ideas that, uh, that I'll, I'll repeat back to people. And good ones. But what's the top piece of advice you'd like to leave listeners with today? Good question. Um, look, 
if you're going to if you're going to do something, do it with all the passion in the world. Don't, don't you know? Don't do things half-hearted. Just just give yourself to it, uh, and don't be attached to the outcome. Very good advice. Most importantly, especially as we want to see you out there on the world stage, uh, delivering presentations which are nothing more than just a conversation. How can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? Uh, our website, www.powerfulpoints.com.au uh, or uh, email info at powerfulpoints.com.au. And Powerful Points is just that, Powerful Points, all in one word, .com.au. Yeah, one L. <laughs> number of people spell it too, trust me. Yeah, there you go. Powerful Points with one L. Yeah. <laughs> Lee, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Clive. It's been an absolute delight. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app and you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.